just going to start us out with prayer. How does that sound? All right. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. I thank you for every individual in this room, every heart in this room, every mind in this room, Father God. We ask for your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, your love, your justice. Father God, I ask that you would give us receiving hearts. Lord, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth would be from you, and anything that's not, Father, you would just cut it away in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So, yeah, we've known each other quite a while. And when Natalia first knew me, she didn't know this. I think you might know now. I was actually a functioning alcoholic and drug addict. Um, it was something that I did a lot in private. And most of the people that I knew didn't know about it. Um, one of the reasons I say that is because that is the thing in my life that makes me the most unqualified to be up here. It's not the only thing. There are a lot of other things. Um, but uh, what I've kind of titled this little talk, I guess, um, if you will, tonight is Ugly Mary, um, and you'll soon figure out why. Um, I'm a bit of a rogue wave, so I'm going to try and stick to what I have here, um, but I may not. Um, and uh, I feel like ever since I've started speaking at churches and confer- conferences and women's groups, I I literally get up here and I I get the mic and then the first thought in my head when everybody sits down is is I should be sitting down too, right? Like the Lord's like, okay, Sarah, you can take your seat now. Just kidding. (laughs) Now it's all on you. Um, And so to let you guys know a little bit about me, so we've already covered the alcohol and the drugs. There was a reason for all of that. It's not an excuse but life gives us circumstances, and a lot of times those circumstances can lead us into wrong choices, obviously. Um, I like to tell people that I feel like my life has been 40 years of getting it wrong, if, if that makes any sense, which also is what makes me feel like I don't belong up here. Um, drug addict, I was a thief, a liar, I was somebody who self-harmed. Um, I was promiscuous. I got fired from every job I had ever had. I have attempted suicide twice. I do have a fairly serious mental illness. I'm, by definition, the last person that should be up here. But so was Mary. She wasn't the only one. One of the reasons that I made a lot of the poor choices that I did is because I'm stubborn. Now, the funny part about that is the fact that that stubbornness is actually the very thing that has kept me alive. If it weren't for that, I would not be here. There is no question in my mind. And it's not because God is mean. It's not because he's allowed terrible things to happen to me. Um, I'm not one of those people that believes in Bible band-aids, you know, the cliches, like God only gives you as much as you can handle. And the reason that I say that is because suicide is real. If that, if that were true, then people wouldn't be taking their own lives. People are feeling like it's too much. So it might not be someone in this room, or it might, 
but most of us are familiar with someone who's famous that struggles with one of these problems, a family member, a coworker, or somebody in our church. The reason I'm bringing all of this up is because these are the topics we don't touch. We have small groups for them, and we meet in dark rooms, and, and we talk quietly about these things. That has created a stigma, even in the church. In fact, for my experience, it's almost worse sometimes in the church. And what I mean by that is that even recently, we've had a few people in the news who've taken their own lives. And the first thing I hear people say is, why? They had everything. Why would they do that? What could we have done? And then people post things like the suicide awareness hotline. Like, that's the answer. I get frustrated when I see that because I've survived two attempts, and the only reason is not because of a hotline. It's because of relationship. It's because of people who were willing and able to look me in the eyes and get to know me for who I was, where I was at, and love me just that way. So some of the things that I have survived that are part of the reason that I made the choices that I did are pretty serious child abuse for about 15 years until my parents divorced is when it ended. Um, some pretty serious neglect. I do know what it's like to be hungry. I remember being 15 years old and there being nothing to eat in the house and scrounging together 30 cents to walk the three blocks up to the essay, it's still there in St. Paul, and get a donut because that's how much donuts were at the time. I wish they were still 30 cents. Maybe it's good that they're not. Yeah, yeah, I like donuts a lot. Um, Obviously, my two suicide attempts, my mental illness, a twin pregnancy that dropped me down to 103 pounds the day of giving birth to them. Uh, I, I almost didn't make it through that. That's probably the nearest to death I've ever come. Um, it, was, it was a pretty stressful six and a half, seven months. Um, and then an assault when I was 19. And that assault is actually the thing that sent me down the road of drugs and alcohol. So I'm going to have him play a short video for you guys really quick. June 9th of 1997, it was a Monday, um, between 4 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, got off early that day, and I used to love going down to the, the bluffs over the Mississippi River. Decided to sunbathe, laying on a towel, and you know when you've had your eyes closed and it's a really sunny day and you first open them, it takes your eyes a while to adjust. All I could see in front of me as my eyes slowly adjusted was the figure of a man, uh, his shadow over the top of me. He'd been stalking me. Um, he had a mask on. That was the only thing that, that he was wearing. I mean, the next thing I knew, he was on top of me. And I screamed, and he wasn't expecting that. He tried to run, 
and I'm not sure why to this day, but I decided to chase him. I turned into that girl that runs up the stairs instead of out the front door in those movies where you're like, go out the front door. That's when I realized I could die. I turned and ran and I went in the opposite direction. I like to say that I survived that day, but that day was the beginning of a slow, long death. I think that I, I wanted to be living, but I knew that I wasn't. It was kind of this thing that my family didn't talk about. You know, six months later, I was called in for a lineup, and I mean, it was something that didn't necessarily go away right away, but it wasn't discussed. And uh, because of my lack of support system and family, um, I was left to fend for myself. And I had a lot of anger and bitterness. Um, and I was suicidal. And as the drinking got worse to cope or the drugs got worse, the more desperately I wanted to be free of all of that. And I got to the point where I realized I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to hurt anymore. I was ready to be free and I made a decision to forgive, not just forgiving him, but forgiving my parents, and even better, forgiving myself for a lot of things. <laughs> and when I chose to let go of that pain and that bitterness and that anger and that frustration, I got something far greater in return. You can't buy, you can't box. Um, freedom. God restores and he redeems and in a very tangible way blotted out that day with something so much greater. Last year, on June 10th, I gave birth to my twin boys, Bennett and Avery, on a Monday as well, between four and five in the afternoon. So it was almost exactly 17 years later. I don't think the timing was an accident. That date and that day and that hour, they used to own me, not anymore. Something else owns me now. Two little people. And I love it. But I also love what God has created. Something so beautiful out of something so ugly. It just blows me away on a daily basis. I love it. So how cute are those babies? Oh, they were watching... Bless. Hold them up, honey. Hi, guys. Oh, they're everything. So I told you that what I like to call this is Ugly Mary. And the reason for that is because um, when we think about biblical characters, we have a tendency to put them up on a pedestal. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you think about David, great king, Peter, unbelievable apostle, 
Paul, I mean, without him, there probably wouldn't be the church um, the way that we see it. And then Mary, uh, just completely faithful to Jesus. The thing that we seem to discard a lot of the time is the fact that David was a murderer and a liar. Peter was completely unfaithful in the moment that he needed to be. Paul was genocidal. He literally murdered thousands upon thousands of Christians. That was his job before his conversion. And Mary, this is the one that gets me every time. We see her in pictures from the Bible. We see her portrayed in Hollywood movies. And for some reason, every single time, she is a size two. She's got long, flowing, beautiful hair. She's got all of her teeth. They're white. Um, You know, she's this beautiful... And I kind of laugh on the inside at that because the truth is, is that that's not who she was. I've been to rehab. I know some prostitutes. Most of them are missing several teeth. They are not Hollywood models. In fact, when Jesus showed up in her life, she was about to be stoned to death by her own people. She was literally nothing. By our standards in our current culture, she was probably ugly. I know that's a harsh word. But she was a beautiful woman of God. And Jesus saw that. And that's what he reached out for. It's the same thing with David. It was the same thing with Peter. It was the same thing with Paul. He saw people who had moldable hearts. He saw people that he knew would be willing to allow their brokenness to be used for his glory. Not a thing of shame. Not a stigma. And so... One of the things that I have made my life about, whether it's through the music that I sing or the blogs that I write or the book that I'm working on or going and speaking to people, is trying to encourage people to get away from this idea that we need to be something other than what we are. I am not advocating sin. I'm not advocating any of these issues. I just know what the statistics are. I like transparency. I didn't grow up in Minnesota, and so I don't really do the passive thing, the passive aggressive thing very well, you know. Um, if you don't like my shirt, just tell me you don't like it. I won't be offended. I really won't, but that's just me. Here you can't do that. My grandma's the kind of person that'll say, oh, honey, that's a real different top you've got on, you know. I know what different means, Grandma. You don't have, just tell me you don't like the shirt. Now, that's a, that's a subtle example of what I'm trying to talk about. The reason I am so bold about this, and believe me, it makes people uncomfortable a lot. I'm getting used to it. It's actually easier to do it in front of a lot of people. It's harder when I'm one-on-one and I actually have to make eye contact and I start talking about STDs or 
abortions or suicides or alcoholism or whatever drug that is the latest thing that's literally taking lives. The reason I'm bold about it is because this book right here and the guy that I follow, the guy that saved my life time after time after time, that's the number one thing that he wants us doing. He wants us loving. And what does love look like? Love doesn't have fear. This is scriptural. John 4, 8 and 18. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There is no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That's a lot of loves. We fear what we don't understand. A lot of people think that the opposite of love is hate. It's not. It's fear. And so we get uncomfortable when something comes up that we don't understand or that we don't like. But people, I'm telling you, the only way to save lives, the only way to get people off of drugs, to get them to stop drinking, to get them to stop from taking their own lives, is to talk is to make eye contact, is to allow people an environment where they can heal. Because it's not going to happen until we can do that. Now, I'm not saying... I know that these are very serious topics, and so I also encourage people to don't be weird about it. Like, I don't need you standing up on Sunday morning and being like, hey, pastor, I gambled away all of our savings last night. You know, like, it's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever your thing is, maybe you don't have a thing. Maybe you're not struggling with anything. And if that's the case, then you are blessed. And God has an opportunity to use you in somebody else's life. Somebody who has been broken. Somebody who's been wrecked and ruined and has no hope left. You're the answer to that. You're the answer to the alcohol problem, the suicide problem, the depression problem, the stigma against mental illness. I joke around with my husband. I take a pill now. We call it our, my happy pill because if I don't take it, I'm unstable. It used to be one. Now it's five. And I'm okay with that because I'm functioning now and I'm healthy I'm a better wife, I'm a better mother, I'm a better friend, I'm a better family member. And most of all, I'm able to love God better. I'm able to chase after his heart more perfectly. And the person that I'm becoming has nothing to do with this culture or trying to please other people. It's simply about love. Another verse that I really appreciate is John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The reason that I like this is because it really is the foundation of what I speak about. And that is doing the one thing that the enemy doesn't want us doing with our junk in our life. I like to call my junk my, my baggage, you know, my dark matter. 
I drag it around with me. We do, don't we? We forget that Jesus has forgiven us as far as the east is from the west, the ocean floor. We forget about the crucifixion. We remember every single sin. And we have a tendency to put it in a bag. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we're able to move less and less and less. That is exactly what the enemy wants. Because then you're chained to it. But when we drag it kicking and screaming out into the light, that's when it's overcome. When we're willing to not accept the sin in our life, but to recognize it, to call it out for what it is, that thing, whatever it is. For some people it's big, some people it's small. But we've all got stuff. Some people, their biggest issue is gossip, and we might think that that's not a big deal. It is, especially in the church and in families. We badmouth each other on a regular basis, and we have a tendency to do it and make it seem like we actually care. Did you hear about so-and-so? I've been praying for them. Get out of here. No. That's not love. God designed us for love and for faith, not for fear, not for punishment, but for grace and forgiveness and mercy. We live in a fallen world, and because of that, bad things happen. It's how we respond to those things that matter. It's when we step out of his design and step out of his will and his calling for our life that the bad stuff starts to come in. It rots inside us. It makes us judgmental. You can see it everywhere in this world. It's happening between denominations. It's happening between political parties. We're all right all the time. There is no room for in-between. There's no room for compromise. There's no room for conversation. No wonder people have the problems that they do that they're living in debt beyond what you could possibly imagine. I've kind of made it a priority of mine when I can get myself out of the house dealing with my anxiety to make sure that when I see people, I don't care if it's at the grocery store or at a church or standing on the sidewalk somewhere, that I make eye contact. And if I have an opportunity... I say hello, maybe ask them what their name is, find out a little bit. Because I believe that relationship should come before anything else. It should become before it should come before your political leanings. It should come before your denomination that you're in. If you really do love God, if you believe in what's in this, then you follow the first commandment. The other ones are important, but the first one, if we can't get that right, then what's the point? Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. And don't just love your neighbor. Love them as yourself. Not with restrictions. Before I try and tell somebody how to live their life, I should know their name. 
I should have a relationship with them. And if they are struggling with something and they open up to me and they want to share that and I have the opportunity to help them heal, if God has so blessed me with that opportunity, then I'm going to take it. But I'm going to use this as my standard. Nothing in the world. Love. First. It's so cliche and yet we've gotten so far away from it. So what I like to do is I do like to ask people. It's tough because it's hard to face some of these things and it feels really heavy, but this is not meant to be a heavy moment. Believe it or not, it's meant to be the opposite. While I've been speaking, some of you might have thought of something that you are struggling with. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe you're thinking of a family member or a friend who has something. You know about it, but it's something the family doesn't talk about. You have an opportunity to drag that nastiness out into the light where it belongs and free yourself or free somebody else. And it's as easy as saying, Hi, my name's Sarah. How are you? Who are you? Get to know somebody. Let somebody get to know you, the real you. My husband married me when I was still an alcoholic, when I was still on drugs. I had just finally started to get counseling. I had just gotten onto medication. He married me when I was at my absolute worst. There's no question. I tried to give him the ring back. I gave him a million excuses. Get out of this. You deserve way better He looked at me and he said, because I asked him, I said, what do you want from me? I actually shouted it pretty rudely, actually. What do you want from me? And he said, very simply, I want to create an environment where you can become the woman God created you to be. That was eight years ago. Now I'm clean, I'm sober, I've got two beautiful kids, and I love what I do. Because I know that every time I do this, even if it's just one person in a room, this is a God-ordained moment, and somebody's getting set free. Somebody's going to be able to let go of something. And for me, that's a win. That's a big, big win. So I encourage you to take a moment and think. Let God speak to you. Maybe it's TV I don't know. Maybe it's eating, gluttony. We like to categorize sin. We like to rank it, the worst stuff, you know, the not-so-bad stuff. And then we decide who we're going to point at. And the fact of the matter is, is that that's not how sin works. The love thing comes first. I read an article the other day where one of the things in it said, grace bats last. If you think about the game of baseball as being the game of life, the last one up to bat is grace. That means that the love of God, it covers everything, a multitude of things, the word says. Whatever your thing is, Know that it is not bigger than you. 
And not only that, I want you to recognize tonight or for the person that you know that might be struggling that that thing that seems like a curse, that thing that seems like a ball and chain, that thing that seems extremely difficult, that is the thing, the specific thing that God wants to use in your life. Because I believe that on the flip side of every curse, there's a blessing. God is just waiting to use it. The enemy doesn't want to see that happen. He doesn't want to see what you've done for bad be turned into something for good. But that's exactly what he did for Mary and David and Paul and Peter. And those are the people that we look to. This is the stuff that we read about and hear about on a regular basis. But for some reason, we've gotten to a point in our culture where we're ignoring it. You don't have to be perfect. And my husband reminds me on a regular basis, too, that this life should not be about becoming something, doing something. It's not how it works. Nothing in me has changed because I've done anything. It's happened because I have stopped, opened myself up, and let God come in and do the work. I recognize that. I've made choices along the way. Of course, I have to. I've got free will. But every bit of healing in me, every bit of growth has only happened because of Jesus. We're going to play one more video right now. Um, This is actually a music video. I started out singing, which was one of the reasons that I was able to get into drugs pretty easily. Um, Playing in the Minneapolis music crowd is um, a pretty wild scene. However, it's also become one of the biggest parts of my heart and my life. I love the people. I love the relationships that I have. I get to go places and do things and see people that somebody like me now in my life wouldn't get to go. I have relationships with people who wouldn't normally otherwise talk to someone who went to church or believes in Jesus. It's, it's amazing how God has taken something from my past and is using it now for his benefit. On my latest album, I wrote a song called Contact. And one of the reasons that I wrote it is because I struggle with anxiety. I almost didn't come today. This is the first thing I told Natalia. I literally, I, I sweat. I, I have all these physiological things that happen just trying to leave the house. Two o'clock, three o'clock this afternoon, I texted my husband and said, I, I can't do it. I can't go. It, 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 it cripples me. And I had to work through that. Because I know that this is what matters. People matter. What I've been through matters. What you're going through matters. Your name matters. Your story matters. Every single one of you. And so I encourage you to listen to this song. You'll be able to read the words up on the screen. My lovely husband is the one who made it, uh, the music video. And try, when you leave here tonight, to start making eye contact again, more than you have been. And don't let Facebook be the way you have relationships with people, or even email. 
Go over to a friend's house. Show up unannounced. Sit down. Talk to him. We we've lost the ability to have relationship, and it's hurting us.
the last thing I want to remind you guys of tonight before I close up here is I like to remind people that despite what this culture tells us, we are not the sum total of our faults. Our value was predetermined by God. That comes before anything and everything else. The mistakes you've made, the mistakes you're going to make. There is no fear in love. No fear. So if you are holding on to something or you know somebody who is, become a person that creates an environment around them where other people can heal. And we can be honest. We can be honest with each other. We don't have to try so hard. And we're better able to talk about things again instead of hiding stuff. I have a table back there with some CDs on it. I also have a website. Uh, My main job these days, besides taking care of my two boys, is blogging. Um, So I actually write on a regular basis, and I'm working on a book right now. It's my name, sarahcalise.com. There are cards back there with my name on it if you'd like to check it out. But I would love to meet each and every one of you if you want to come over and say hi and make some eye contact and tell me your name. That would be great afterwards. I really appreciate you guys having me here. Natalia, thank you so much. Nate, thank you so much. Um, It's been my pleasure. Let's close just with a quick prayer from me. Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through every word that's been spoken here tonight, Father God. That you would minister to every head and every heart. Father God, that you would give strength where there's weakness that you would help the people who are struggling to come to terms with what they're dealing with and know that it's okay. It's going to be okay to reach out, to ask for help, to talk to somebody. Bring people into their lives where they can actually do that, Father God. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for the staff here. I pray for your favor on this building and the people who come here to see you and know you. Father God, all of these things in your wonderful and your precious name. Amen. Forever.